Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org membership. When our master sold the apostle Thomas as a slave to take the gospel to India, Thomas entered the service of a powerful king near Kandahar province in Afghanistan. Thomas was not a fisherman. By vocation, he had skills as an engineer, architect, and stonemason. The king wanted a new palace built in the style of Roman and Herodian architecture. He gave Thomas the job and put him in charge of building the new palace in a nearby city. The king took Thomas out to an empty field and showed him, Here is where I want the foundations laid. Here is where I want the gates. Here is where I want the towers. I want the windows to face this way and that way, and so on. Thomas took careful notes of everything the king told him and promised that he could accomplish it. The king gave Thomas a sizable amount of money to get the project started. Then the king returned to his home. Some time later, Thomas sent word that the construction of the palace was going well, but that he had run out of money and needed more. The king sent more money. The king's other servants, however, observed that Thomas had not done anything yet. The field had not yet been cleared, and not a single foundation stone had been laid. Instead, Thomas had squandered all the money on charity, giving to the poor and the needy, redeeming captives and helping widows and orphans. When the king learned about this, he was, of course, furious. He threw Thomas in prison with the intention of executing him. While Thomas languished in prison, awaiting his execution, the king's brother died of a sickness. That night, the king had a dream in which the spirit of his brother came to him from the world of souls. His brother said to him, What a fabulous palace is prepared for you in this world! What a fabulous palace your servant Thomas has built you! In the dream, the king caught a glimpse of the palace awaiting him in that world, and he saw that the builders had nearly finished it. They had built everything to his exact specifications. When he awoke, he sent for Thomas and gave him more money and instructed him, You have done well so far. Now carry on with your work and do not cease to build. This story represents one of the stratagems we employ to prepare for the high holidays, the day of judgment, and also for the, the kingdom and the world to come. As we prepare to stand before the heavenly court every year during the high holidays, the Talmud recommends three strategies that can influence the court to reverse a bad verdict. Repentance, charity, and prayer. Repentance, tshuva, means turning away from sin, rectifying misdeeds, and turning toward God. Prayer, tefillah, refers to confession of sin and petitions of forgiveness. Charity, Tzedakah means showing kindness to others, forgiving others for their sins against oneself, but especially giving generously to those in need and to the work of the kingdom. Gifts of charity and charitable donations. It's upon this last concept that today's teaching is focused, but all of them are pertinent. 
Of course, everyone should be doing all of these things all year long, but during the 10 days of awe, one feels a heightened urgency to the task because of the swiftly approaching deadline of Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, the court will render the final verdict. Before that happens, we want to accrue as much repentance, prayer, and charity as possible. This is what our Master refers to when he urges us to store up treasure in heaven. And this is what Thomas was doing as the steward over the king's investment. A man once took passage on a ship for a long voyage. After many weeks at sea, a terrible storm rose up. The waves and the wind beat against the ship and capsized it. The crew and passengers found themselves struggling to swim in the pitching sea. The man held onto a piece of floating debris and let the waves carry him wherever they would. After what seemed like days at sea, the waves washed him onto a sandy beach. Completely exhausted, he fell asleep. He awoke to the sound of drums. The inhabitants of the island onto which he had washed ashore had gathered around him. They were beating drums and sounding trumpets. He hoped they were not cannibals. They lifted him onto a great palanquin, which several men, young men, carried on their shoulders. They brought him to their city and put a crown on his head, and they enthroned him in their palace. When he realized that he was not going to be soup after all, but in fact was going to be the king of this people, he began to relax and enjoy himself. Slowly he learned their language. He took a wife to be his queen. In fact, he took more than one. He had everything he could want. He had multitudes of servants to wait on him. Every choice delicacy, every fine entertainment, houses and gardens, wealth and prosperity. He became quite immersed in the local politics and the distractions of all the busyness and the business of the island society. Many years went past, but he never saw another ship pass near the island. He gave up all thoughts of being rescued, and indeed he almost forgot that he had come from another place— he began to think in terms of the island as if it was the whole world. He undertook numerous building projects and improvements, building aqueducts and roads, planting fields and vineyards, and so on. One day, he asked his chief advisors and counselors, Who was the king here before I came, and how did he come to power? They answered, Your Majesty, he was a man like yourself a man that washed up from the sea. And what happened to him? he asked. They answered, We have a tradition that all of our kings are given to us from the sea. When a new king washes up from the sea, that is a sign that it is time to send the old king away. So when you washed up from the sea, we sent the old king away. Send him away? To where? the king asked. To the island of the old kings, of course, they answered. It turned out that every time a new survivor of a shipwreck washed ashore, this people bound their existing king and brought him by longboat to a remote neighboring island and left him there. When the king heard about this custom, he was mortified. He called an immediate halt to all of his building projects. He summoned his builders. He summoned his engineers. He summoned his architects. He summoned his vine dressers and husbandmen. 
his shepherds and his planters and reapers, his royal treasurers and his administrators. He summoned the best of his servants, and he gave all of these subjects careful instructions. He told them, Take the longboats at once to the island of the old kings, and when you arrive there, set to work immediately planting vineyards and fields with all kinds of foods. Find pastures for flocks, dig wells and build aqueducts, cut down timbers and build a great and fine palace, staff the palace with servants, see to it that nothing is lacking." As it would happen, no sooner had his servants returned to tell him that everything he had ordered had been accomplished on the island of the old kings, when a most frightful storm arose at sea. All night the ocean churned. The next morning the king awoke to the sound of trumpets and drums on the beach. A new king had washed ashore in the night. The palace guards came and bound the old king hand and foot. They brought him aboard a longboat, which they paddled to the far-off island of the old kings. As they entered the shallows of its lagoon, they loosed him, bade him farewell, and sent him ashore. The old king stepped onto the beach of the small island. He could see his gleaming new palace in front of him, the polished stone shone in the sun, adorned with flags and pendants. Servants hustled about it. Others were bringing in the last harvest of grain. Still others were treading out the first of the grape harvest. There would be plenty of food and plenty of water, and all that he could want or need. But as he stepped ashore, he saw also the bones of the kings before him, men like himself, who had been brought to the island of the old kings and abandoned on the shore. But unlike himself, they had made no provision for this place. The island of the old kings is a story that Reb Dovber, the great Magid of Mezrich, used to tell. Magid means teller, storyteller. And the Magid of Mezrich, the star disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, was the greatest of storytellers. He could make up a story, a parable, to illustrate any point. The meaning of the story should be obvious. Every soul born into this world comes into this world with nothing, seemingly washed ashore from another place. We enter the world fearful, wide-eyed, and cautious, but we quickly discover our own free will. We realize that here in this world, the world of form and matter, we are our own masters. We are kings and queens, sovereigns of our own bodies and over our experience of what we call reality. It's a world filled with pleasures, joys, wounds, and sorrows. We are quickly immersed in its business, distractions, entertainments, goals, ambitions, politics, and concerns. The duties of life pile up on us. We quickly forget where we came from, and we scarcely give a thought to where we are going. We are like kings foolishly building a kingdom we will not be able to enjoy because, like the king in the story, we will soon pass on to another place and leave this place and all its things behind. The popular adage says, you can't take it with you. The Magid, however, shows us that the opposite is true. You can take it with you. 
You just need to plan in advance. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Yeshua says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What did he mean? It can be illustrated with a story of Hanina Bendosa, the apostolic era Galilean miracle worker that Reb Ibi mentioned in his teaching on Shabbat Shoftim. Hanina Bendosa and his wife were very poor, and they subsisted on miracles. Once his wife said to him, How long shall we go on suffering so much? What can we do about it? he asked her. Pray that something may be given to you, she replied. Hanina prayed that God would give them some financial miracle. The figure of a hand appeared, reaching out to him from heaven. The hand clutched an ornate table leg made of solid gold. Hanina took hold of the table leg, and the hand withdrew. As you can imagine, the husband and wife were overjoyed. The weight in gold was more money than they had ever seen. They knew that they would never want again. For that amount of gold, they would be able to live comfortably for the rest of their lives. That night, Hanina had a dream. He saw a vision of the resurrected in the kingdom, and he saw that the righteous resurrected were seated at tables. All of the tables had three legs, but the table at which Hanina and his wife were to sit had only two legs. In the morning, he asked his wife, Are you content that everybody shall eat at a perfect table and we at an imperfect table? She replied, What shall we do? Pray again and ask that the table leg should be taken away from you. He prayed again, and the table leg was taken away. This story makes the point that you can take it with you, or you can spend it all now but you can't do both. It's not worth trading the pleasures in the world to come for the pleasures in this life. Rabbi Yaakov said, This world is like a waiting room before the world to come. Prepare yourself in the waiting room so that you may enter the banqueting hall. You can take it with you. Get ready. Prepare now. A young man thinks, When I am older, I will get more serious about faith. A young girl thinks, when I am married, I will get more serious about faith. A married woman thinks, when I have children. A young mother thinks, when the baby is grown. An older woman thinks, when the children are out of the house. Hillel said, if not now, when? And do not say, when I shall have leisure, I shall study. Perhaps you will not have leisure. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. How should we be rich toward God? How do we store up treasures in heaven? To seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness is to put God's priorities first. If we do not give to the needy and to the work of the kingdom before we indulge ourselves, we are storing up treasure on earth. If we don't prioritize study, Torah and mitzvot, time spent learning the Bible, time spent studying the words of Yeshua, how can we indulge ourselves in entertainments or a book or a hobby, a video game? The same is true for prayer. Prayer once a week is not so great. Once a day is better. Three times a day is the obligation. Prayer without ceasing is the goal. Take time to step aside, to step aside from life and its business. Time to simply speak to your father. Time to step out of time. You don't have to ask him for anything, though you certainly can. But it's important to just be silent in his presence too. Be rich towards God. Store up treasures for the world to come. Seek first the kingdom. The Talmud gives us some practical advice regarding how to do this. All the commandments have a reward in the world to come. So, every time we keep a commandment that is incumbent upon us to do, we are building that place in the world to come, like Thomas in Afghanistan or the castaway king on the island of old kings. Yeshua teaches us the same thing. He says that even the least of the commandments will be rewarded. But some commandments have a, re have a reward both in this world and in the world to come. And it is these commandments that characterize seeking first the kingdom. The Talmud lists ten precepts whose fruit we enjoy in this world and the world to come. These are the things which a person performs and enjoys their fruits in this world, while the principle remains intact for the world to come. They are honoring one's parents, the practice of acts of kindness, early attendance at the house of study morning and evening, hospitality to guests, visiting the sick, providing for a bride, escorting the dead, concentration in prayer, making peace between man and his fellow, and the study of the Torah corresponds to all of them. As I review this list, one of the things I notice is that each one of these things requires an investment of time, effort, and resources. My time, my effort, my resources. So each one is expensive in some measure. That's why our master says, don't invest your time, effort, and resources here on earth where everything is temporary. Invest your time, your effort, and your resources in heaven. If there is no God, none of this matters. You can ignore me. Eat, drink, be merry. Carry on however you like because death is the end. But there is a God and death is not the end. Be careful not to let your evil inclination tell you that the grave is a place of safety for you. For you did not ask to be made, you, do not, you didn't ask to be born, you didn't ask to live. 
No one will ask you when it's time to die, and no one will ask you when it's time for you to give an account and a reckoning before the King of Kings, blessed be he. It is not adequate to relegate God to a couple of hours a week at synagogue. It's not adequate to say, I believe in Yeshua, therefore I'm going to heaven when I die. Life is more complicated than that. Faith is more expensive than that. God doesn't want your confession of belief. He is not impressed that you believe in Him, nor is our Master flattered that we believe He is the Messiah. Faith is a matter of allegiance and obedience, and it demands our time and our stuff. Does this mean that I can never have any time for myself? No, but it means that we give our time to the kingdom first, instead of giving God the leftovers. You might be thinking to yourself, but I don't have anything. All I've got is these two fish and five loaves. If I give this to him, there won't be anything at all left over for me, right? Give him all that you have and then count the baskets of leftovers. About 15 or 20 years ago, the Social Security Administration started a new campaign to warn people to start saving for retirement. The government was alarmed that people were not saving enough to finance their retirements. So they started an ad campaign saying, hey, your Social Security check is not going to be adequate to live on. You better start saving now. When a person retires, how many years do they have left? 20 years? 35? If it's so important to save up enough to ensure that one will be provided for during a few short decades, how much more so should we be saving for eternity? Regarding the cheapskate who builds with wood, hay, and stubble for the world to come, Paul says his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. There is an island in the distance, and it is littered with the bones of the kings who have been deposed to that place before you. There is still time to do something about it. What will you do? Will you continue to be content with your religion, doing religious things on your religious days and religious places? Or are you willing to make the investment that real faith requires? It's hard to give up your time. It's hard to give up your stuff until you remember that it's not your time and it's not your stuff. It's his stuff. You are only borrowing it. Take on my yoke and Find rest for your soul